Hey, good morning. Hey, my name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here at Door Creek, and it's my privilege to welcome you here and to share God's word with you today. Well, so it was the big party of my eighth grade year at Pershing Junior High. All year, I had been trying to become friends with a group of people that everyone wanted to be friends with, right? The cool kids, the funny kids. And for whatever reason, I couldn't break into that group. And then it happened. I got the invitation. I was invited to the party at one of the, at one of the kids' house. And I couldn't believe it. I was delighted. I was so happy. So I talked my parents into letting me go. And that wasn't easy. Um, but they let me go. So they dropped me off. I got to the party. And so I started looking for the group, right? A group of friends. And I couldn't find them. So I go in the house. They're not in there. I go outside. I walk around. And finally, I find them. They're in this uh, grove of trees, and they're kind of hiding. I'm like, what are they doing? As I approach the trees, one of them ca called out to me, hey, come on over. I was like, yes. And as I approached the group, I realized what they were doing. They were smoking. Yeah, and they weren't smoking regular cigarettes. It was pot. They were smoking. I couldn't believe it. And in that moment, I realized I was being invited into the group. But the invitation came with a price. I knew I had to smoke with them in order to become part of that group. So I was at a crossroads in my life, and I had to choose. You know, a lot of times in life, we find we have to make tough choices. And the choices we make about where we'll go and who we'll be friends with and what we'll do all have an effect on shaping who we are and who we'll become. And if we're not careful and we're not using the right compass to guide us in life, we can get ourselves into trouble. So this morning, I want to invite you to look into God's Word at some key principles that if we can take hold of them today, they'll actually lead us to live a life of blessing rather than a life of brokenness. So we are in a series called Storyline, where we're actually tracing God's grand story for the world and us throughout the Bible. And we're learning how God's story connects with our story. And today we're starting a four-week mini-series in the book of Psalms. Um, and we're entitling it the Songs of Jesus. So I invite you to go ahead, if you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms. It should be smack dab in the middle of your Bible. If you open it up, maybe go a little to the left. And we're going to be studying Psalm 1 today. So a little background on the book of Psalms. It's a fascinating, special book. Uh, the word Psalms literally means praise song. Praise song. Because literally, Psalms is a collection of 150 prayers or songs that were meant to be sung to the Lord. Um, it's part of that uh, genre of literature in the Bible we call wisdom literature. And it's because it's Hebrew poetry written to be prayed and sung, both in private and public worship. Um, it's the longest book of the Bible. It has the longest chapter of the Bible, which is interesting. Um, we also know that Psalms is quoted by New Testament writers more than any other Old Testament book. And in this 150 Psalms, there's different kinds of Psalms. We actually categorize them into different groups, and some of which you'll be very familiar with. Some we call Psalms of Praise. 
like the one Ben read earlier, Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Or songs of lament, like Psalm 22, where the psalmist cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or psalms of confession, where we see King David after his um, terrible sin with Bathsheba. In his murderous act, he cries out to God, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. The book of Psalms has long been used by the church as a book of worship. God's people before Christ and now in Christ, the church has used the Psalms to nourish our hearts. In fact, it was used as a songbook. And you'll notice many of the songs we sing today are rooted in Scripture, many of which come from Psalms. So this idea of singing together as a church, this is not a new idea. Now, some people don't realize that our singing isn't just warming up for the, for the Bible. It's actually a part of worship of what God's people do as we sing and allow the truth of God's word to be ministered to our hearts and ignite the fire of our faith. It's as important as a proclamation of the word as we sing the word to the Lord and let him warm us toward his spirit. So Jesus quoted from Psalms more than any other book. Uh, in fact, we would expect as Jesus traveled to different synagogues, he was reading from the Psalms, teaching from them. And we remember that after he shared that final supper with the disciples in the upper room, as he left, the scripture says that they sang a song, a hymn, as they went. Very likely, one of the Psalms we hold in our hands. And so if the Psalms were good enough for Jesus, if these were Jesus' songs, then as God's people, they should be our songs. And so let's begin our study in this great book. Let's read together Psalm 1. I'll read it for us. I'm reading from the New International Version, beginning in verse 1, Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so with the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. As we look into this psalm, there are at least four key principles I think God teaches us through it. The first of which is this, that blessed people become what they are by what they refuse and by what they choose. Blessed people are made by what they refuse and what they choose. As we look at this first line, we're pulled in right away. Blessed is the man. And by the way, a little side note here. Um, that word man, so in the Hebrew language, that can actually be interpreted a number of different ways. It was a generic word, unlike in our language, which means very specifically a male human. But in the scripture, the word man could actually refer to all people. It could mean man, woman. It could mean young, old. 
any nationality, any language. And that's important to note that God would have all his people live a blessed life. It's for all of us. This is an invitation for everyone. And that's exciting because immediately we're drawn in a blessed life. I mean, who here doesn't, by the show of hands, who here would like to experience the blessings of God? Let me see it, right? Of course, this is for all of us. This is interesting. Um, So the word blessed can also mean happy, referring to that rich, full sense of happiness, you know, mentally, um, morally, physically, the well-being of a person's life is being offered. And then we're told what this person does in order to become blessed. It says um, there's something the blessed person refuses, there's something they choose, and then later in the psalm we actually see the result of what happens based on the choosing. So let's start by looking at what a blessed person refuses. It tells us that the blessed person does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. Uh, So we're called not to walk in the way of the wicked, but rather we're to choose to delight in the law of the Lord by meditation. And as you look at verse 1, you can actually see this progression away from the blessed way of life. There's kind of three phases. The first is we're not to walk in the counsel of the wicked. The wicked. Who is the wicked? So wicked is very simply someone who persists in doing evil. And a blessed person will not listen or receive counsel from someone who persists in doing evil. But it doesn't stop there. It goes to another level. There's a, there's a progression away from the blessed way. And the next step is standing in the way of sinners. A sinner, someone who's missed the mark of God, who does not care about the things of God. And we're called not to go in the way of. So we've moved from hearing counsel from and thinking about wicked ways to now behaving or acting in the way of the sinner. And then there's a final progression, sitting in the seat of mockers, or some translations say a scoffer. What is a scoffer? Well, a scoffer is someone who not only is wicked, not only is sinful, but they're actually aggressive at speaking against the things of God. They ridicule and make light of God and those who are part of his family. And so sitting down has this this nature indication of being a part of a group right? Belonging to. So you go from listening to, to acting like, to becoming one of this worldly way of life that is against God's way. And so a blessed person will choose not to do that, right? Because thinking leads to behaving, which leads to belonging. That's the principle or progression that God teaches us here. And that's true in most of life when we think about it. Thinking shapes a way of life. A way of life shapes our character and who we become and the group we belong to. All of us have heard this adage, right? Be careful who you're friends with, right? Because the people you hang around with, you'll become like, right? So if you were to pull that principle out of this text, it's stated a little differently, but the same principle. It's stated in the negative. And so verse 1 would be stated like this. Um, You'll never become like the person you don't hang around. You'll never become like the person you don't hang around. So if you don't hang around wicked people, you won't become like them. And you can flip that. 
If you don't hang around godly people, you won't become like them either. So, all right, kids and students who are here, you've heard this from your parents. Be careful who you hang around with, right? They care about that friend's house you go to, and sometimes they say no. They care about the types of parties you attend because they understand this principle that you're still learning, that you think you have the ability to resist what's wrong in other people, but the reality is we get sucked up into it. It's a principle Scripture teaches. So listen to your parents. Listen to them, and in time you will understand they're trying to protect you and help you. Hey, adults, this also goes for us too. I think sometimes as adults we're tricked into thinking, well, I have the ability to filter it out. It'll be okay. But the reality is what we watch, what we listen to, influences our hearts and affects what we desire and can move us toward worldliness. And we're being warned and cautioned against loving the things of the world. We need to make choices that lead to us becoming like Christ, not becoming like the world. So how does that happen? Well, Scripture says we are to delight in the way of the Lord. Um, So if not loving the world is wrong, loving the world is wrong, then loving the things of God is right. That's where we want to be. And it actually works the same way. Uh, The way in which our hearts are turned toward affection toward God is by listening to, behaving like, and sitting with people who are like God. And we're to walk in and be like and sit with those who love and follow Christ. Uh, So I have a little illustration. I want to show you something here. Ready? Who's seen one of these? Seen those? I just got all the kids' attention right there. Uh, So, yeah, these are called a fidget spinner, right? And these are like all the craze right now. Has anyone here not seen these? Yeah, they're kind of new. Yeah. So if you would have Googled this back in December you would have got zero hits on fidget spinner. So just recently, these have become a big deal. And so we're in Ace Hardware, and my son comes up, and he goes, hey, Dad, have you seen this? This is cool. I want one. I was like, what is that? I said, so I asked him, well, how did you find out about this thing? He said, well, I guess I first saw it on YouTube. I watched a video of someone, you know, playing with it and telling what it was and how it worked. And he said, then kids at school started talking about it, and there was kind of this buzz. And then someone showed up with one at school, and then several people. And I got to play with it and feel it and say, oh, it's pretty cool. And then we're in Ace Hardware, and there they are, within reach. And Dad's six bucks in his pocket paid for it. So he got it. And that's kind of how this works. right, the way in which our heart desires or is move towards something is we begin by looking at it, listening to it, right? It's interesting to us and we're drawn to it. And then if we taste it and touch it and eventually we choose it. It's how our hearts go. Now, obviously, the stakes are much higher with our hearts and with a fidget spinner. Now, it's important to distinguish what uh, the writer of Psalms is not saying, right? He draws a contrast between how we act and then the character of our heart. And it's really about our character. So the things of the world, a fidget spinner, the Internet, movies, um, even some people in our lives, they're not evil in and of themselves, but when we allow them to influence our hearts and they take us away from God, that's when they become a problem. 
And so if you're like me, you're, you're reading here, you're, you're asking the question, like, what does that mean to be of the world or to be worldly? Um, what does that look like? That's kind of a churchy term. You don't really hear that in everyday life. So here's how I would define uh, worldliness. It's anyone or anything that would influence our hearts to the point we love them more than we love God. Anyone or anything that influences our hearts to where we love them or it more than we love God. That's becoming affectionate toward the things of the world rather than affectionate toward our awesome and glorious God. So, okay, it's clear. Blessed people refuse to love the world, right? Well, there's a second principle the psalmist wants us to grasp, and it's this. Blessed people delight in the word of God. So if we choose not to love the world, we're called to love the word. Uh, That word delight is a curious word to use about the law of the Lord. Think about delight. Um, I can think of a lot of things that are delightful about God. I think about his mercy and his grace, his presence when he shows up and someone sees him. That's delightful. But the law, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not covet. That doesn't sound real delightful and delicious. But over again in Scripture, the word of God, the law of God is referred to in this delightful terms. Like Psalm 19.10 uh, says, The decrees of the Lord are more precious than gold, than more, more, much more than gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. Right? There's this affection, almost like a, a man's love for a woman who's proposed and they're engaged to be married. And he loves to hear her words and her mannerisms and everything about her. There's this intimacy and desire for. And that's the term the scripture says that we should experience when we think about the truth of God's word. How is it that we delight? How do you get there? Well, it says we do it by meditating. Meditating on the law of the Lord. Now, meditation stirs up a lot of different images in your mind, right? Think, are we talking about yoga here? Like, what is meditation? And so the meditation the scripture talks about is very uh, well defined. So that word meditate means to murmur or speak softly. So literally, scripture says we are to speak the word of God to ourselves, to our own hearts. It's as if we're counseling the truth to ourselves so that we can be shaped and changed by it. Um, And as we do that, we feel ourselves being moved toward a delight and a love for the things of God. Um, So the law of the Lord is the object of what we're to meditate on or delight in. That word law, this means Torah. Sometimes it refers to the first five books of the Bible. It can mean in general the instruction or teaching of God. Um, Or it can refer to the whole counsel of God, all of his teaching and instruction. That's, in fact, what I believe it's referring to here. It's the whole Bible. For us as Christ followers, all of the Bible is God's word, his law, his counsel. From Genesis to Revelation, this is to be the object of our delight. This is what we're to meditate on. It's what God will use to teach us to love him rather than love the world. And that's actually what the Psalms were designed to do. The Psalms were designed to inform our thinking, right? They're to move our hearts toward delight in the things of God. As we pray them, as we sing them, it's a form of meditation 
as we feel ourselves changed into the people that are like Jesus. And as you move toward delight and love for the things of God, there's this interaction that takes place. As you grasp God's things, you let go of the world's things. As you are affectionate toward the law, you're less affectionate toward the things that are not a part of God's law. And that's the the guidance we're getting from this psalm. So I urge you, meditate, memorize God's scripture. So back in 2010, we joined a new Bible study. And on the first day we showed up in the living room of the family hosting it, I immediately noticed a scripture stenciled above one of the windows in their living room. And that scripture just grabbed me. It was so powerful that I went home, I wrote it down on an index card, and I memorized it because I wanted wanted to meditate on the truth of the scripture. And so here it is. It says, he, referring to God, does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. And as I meditated on the power of that, I realized that God chooses to love us more than judge us. That our God is a God who chooses the emotion of love over the emotion of anger. And the power of the grace of Christ, which frees us from sin and shame and guilt. And I just carried that with me for a long time. And I continued. It has a special place in my heart. And that is how we allow the word through meditation to minister to us. And then as we memorize it, which I think is something we should all practice as hard as it is, we keep it in our heads, and God can use it at any time. And not only does it minister to our hearts, it's available on our tongues to share with others so that we can be a blessing, which in fact is the result of living a delight in the word of God. We become like a tree which blesses others. So before we move on to the next uh, verse, let me ask you this. So what if we don't love to meditate on the Bible? What if we don't delight in it? Now, if we're honest, most of us would say it's a bit of a struggle to spend time reading the Bible. Sometimes it's hard to understand. Um, it's hard to memorize it. And there's just so many other things we'd rather do, if we're honest, right? We'd rather eat breakfast or watch TV or get on Facebook or go to work or do yard, on and on. So many things that are calling our heart to focus on. Um, so how is it that we develop this delight in the Word of God? Well, there's a passage I came across last week I heard I thought was really instructive to helping us make headway into delighting in the Word of God. And it comes from Philippians 12, and uh, chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Let me read that for us. It says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. That's a really important verse because it tells us it is God who gives us the will to obey. It is God and his spirit living in us that gives us the ability to follow his principles and his practices. It's a promise that tells us God literally gives us the help and the power and strength through his spirit to live out his truth. So meditating on God's word, delighting in it, is accessible to the children of God. So why don't we do it? Well, it's one of two things that work. One, it's possible that you haven't believed in Jesus yet. 
So one of the things about Door Creek I love is that we welcome everyone here, all people. It's a church for all people, especially those who are checking out the claims of Christianity, who haven't trusted Christ yet. And until you trust Christ, you don't have God's spirit living in you. And without his spirit, the things of God don't make sense. So no matter how hard you try to understand all the pieces, they don't quite come together until you say yes to Jesus and believe that he was who he claimed to be. And you trust him as your only hope for forgiveness and eternity in heaven with God. So I trust you'll do that and you'll experience the blessed way of life. Those of us that are in Christ, so we're all at different places in this journey of faith, right? Some are at the beginning and some have been walking with Christ a while and others their whole life. If you are a new believer, you're still working out these truths and learning how to meditate and delight in the law of the Lord. You know, it's kind of like a, a new uh, a baby that's trying to learn to walk, right? They're taking that first step. You never know when it's going to happen. You're watching for days and weeks. We're getting alerts to the family about, okay, are they walking yet? And the day they take that first step, one or two, and then they fall, what do you do? You cheer, right? Yes, they took their first steps. What you don't do is scold a child because they didn't learn to run on their first day they walked, right? Or the child that's eating solid food for the first time and they're gumming a, a green bean. You're like celebrating. Yes, they're growing, they're progressing. You don't scold them for not eating steak on the first day they have a green bean. And so as a new believer, you're still learning and growing. You need to keep taking baby steps. Don't get discouraged. Don't give up. Keep pressing into it. You need to be in God's word. You need to be talking to God through prayer, and you need to be gathering with God's people for encouragement, edification, and growth. Now, if you've been walking with Christ for a while, those of us in that category, and we're not loving, meditating on Scripture, what's wrong? What do we do? Well, we do what we always do. When God brings to our heart and mind that we've done something to disobey God or offend Him, or we're not doing something He asks us to, what we do as God's children is, first of all, we repent. We confess to God, God, I'm sorry. I'm not doing what you asked, or I blew it. Forgive me and help me to start over again. And we ask God to stir up His Spirit within us to give us the strength and the will and the ability to do what He asks us to do, and He will but we have to be disciplined. We have to work at it and put energy into it. So the person who is walking the blessed way refuses to love the world, chooses to love the law of the, the Lord. And then third, uh, we see two results from our choices, to become like a tree or become like chaff. Look at verse 3. It says, a blessed person is like a tree. Verse 4, the wicked are like chaff the wind blows away. Think about a tree. A tree symbolizes strength and stability and fruitfulness and beauty, refreshment, shade, right? We see, think about its roots going deep into the ground, able to stand up against the wind or a storm. And then think about chaff. Do, do we even know what chaff is? I had to look it up. Um, so I got some pictures for us. So chaff is referring to that husk that's on barley or wheat. It's the unwanted part of the plant that has the grain. The grain is what we want. We don't want the chaff. And so in ancient Near Eastern practices, they would separate 
the chaff from the wheat. Usually they'd let an ox tread on it. They would thresh it. And it's trying to loosen that grain from the chaff. And then they would use a process still used today in third world countries called winnowing, where they would toss the grain up into the air and allow the wind to blow the chaff away and the heavy grain would fall back down. All right, and so the chaff represents that part of the plant that is weightless, it is dry, it is rootless and useless, and you want no part of it. It's actually in the way. And you're trying to get rid of it so you can get to the good stuff, which is the grain. So chaff is a picture of the ultimate in what is unwanted. So those are the two pictures, a flourishing tree or the dead part of a plant. And so those who are walking in the blessed way of God are, have access to this flourishing life. And those who choose the wicked way are dry and empty. So this brings us to our last principle. And this is important, is how do we access the blessed life? The scripture tells us that a flourishing life is only found in the gospel river of grace. The river. Verse 6. Um, and I'm going to read it from the English Standard Version. I like how that version puts this. Verse 6 says, For the Lord knows, the NIV says watches, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Perish. Die. Destruction a road or a course that comes to nothing, hopes or plans that are frustrated, achievements that come to grief. So scripture teaches over and again that there is a judgment coming, a spiritual winnowing where God will separate those that are part of his family who know him through his son Jesus, separated from those who don't know him, who've rejected Christ. And those are the only two ways. There isn't a third or another option. And one day God will take home all those that know him and he will separate from him those that don't. And so there is a warning to us in this, in this psalm that we think about the future and the road that we're on to ensure that we are part of the blessed way, part of the family of God. So I mentioned to you about the party, my eighth grade year. There I was standing in front of this group of kids, and I had to make a choice. And as I stood there, I just experienced this sense of foreboding and darkness and fear, and I realized very quickly I should not be there. Through the instruction of my parents and being raised in the church, I knew what they were doing was wrong, and I didn't want any part of it. And so I did what only thing I knew to do. I got out of there. I left. Um, I went to the nearest grocery store. And I used this thing called a payphone. <laughs> yeah. It's back before, yeah, they actually functioned. Back before they had cell phones. Yeah, there was actually a day like that. I think it was a dime. And I called my dad. And I said, Dad, come and get me. I should not be here. And, man, I was never so excited to see my dad pull up in his car. And I quickly got in. And there's just this transformation to enter that space with my father that safe place was someone I knew loved me and cared for me. It felt right. As I think about that, I'm reminded of the reality that every decision we make can move us closer to God or farther away. We have a God who loves us, who wants to bring us under his care and protection, a God who wants to know us and experience 
wants us to experience the blessings which come from a life focused on him. So how do you do that? Well, there's a problem that we all need to be aware of and face. And the problem is every single one of us are born into this world as wicked people. Uh, the scripture says that we all have sin in our life and sin results in death. In Psalm 14:3, it says it like this. All have turned aside. Together they've become corrupt. There is none that is good, not even one. So if we're all sinful, Romans 3.23 says, then we'll all die, perish, separate from God. So what do we do? God loves us. He wants a relationship with us. The answer is God is the one who took the step to remedy our problem. And he did that through his son, Jesus, right? John 3.16 tells us, for God so loved the world, he gave his son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God loved us so much. Yeah. He loved us so much, he made a way for us to experience blessed life. All of us start out as wicked, and God wants us to move into his family and experience the blessings that come from knowing him. But we have to choose it. We have to believe in Jesus to receive forgiveness of sin and all the flourishing life that he promises us. So I want to call you to a response today as we close. Um, I think there's at least three fundamentals we need to learn to practice in our life, but it begins with trusting in Christ. If you've not done that yet, what are you waiting for? Um, I mentioned earlier, it'll never all make sense. You'll never have the Bible fully figured out. At some point, you have to take a step of faith and trust in Christ that he's who he said he was, he did everything he said he did, and receive the gift of forgiveness and his spirit and enter into this life that will blow you away. And those of us that are walking with Christ, we need to keep the fundamentals before us. Bible intentionality. This book is the book God has given us as his primary instruction guide for our lives. In it, he tells us who he is, how the world works, and how we are to live. This is vital. We need to pray continually. Um, if the Bible is how God speaks to us, prayer is how we communicate with him. Bible and prayer complete the circuit of communication, the stream of flourishing, the gospel stream of grace into our lives. And that is why it's so important that we delight in it, that we meditate on it. In it is found life and experience that life by praying it back to him. And then finally, we need to speak of Jesus. We need to talk about him. We need to speak to other believers about him for encouragement and teaching and training. It's why we gather here on the weekends, right? To have the fire stirred up within us, to be reminded, don't give up. Hang in there. You're not alone. We're in this together. And we need to speak to people far from Christ about Jesus so they'll know about him. These are the fundamentals, and they never end in our lives. We have to work at it continually to the end of our days until Jesus calls us home. So may we experience the streams of Christ and our, may our hearts be nourished away from the world toward delight in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for the phenomenal gift of your son, Jesus. We never tire of hearing about him or singing of him or praying to him. Father, we're so grateful that we've been invited into your family, that we have the loving, caring arms of the Father surrounding us through faith in your Son. And Father, we have heard your good message today. We have been challenged 
Father, to continually look away from the world and what it offers with all of its glitter and gold and turn our eyes toward your son Christ and learn to delight in your ways. And Father, we ask for your help. We claim the promise you've given us that your spirit lives in us, giving us the will and the ability to obey this truth. May you make it so in in us through the power of your spirit. We ask and pray in Jesus' name.